You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. I want to welcome you. I'm glad you're here. If you're a guest with us this morning, my name is Jordan. I'm one of our pastors here at Redeemer. I get the privilege to lead us in vision and preaching, and so glad that you are here this morning. And we're wrapping up this morning a, a short sermon series that we kind of tacked on here at the end of summer that we've been calling Good News. And so we're going to get to that. We're going to wrap that up this morning. But before we do, there's a couple things I wanted to tell you about. First of all, if you did not get one of these books last week, I want to remind you that these are free. We'd love for you to grab one and take one. It's called Gentle and Lowly, written by Dane Ortland. Let me just kind of tell you the, the best way I can explain this book to you. Maybe you've seen the, the thing on YouTube, the, the Mentos and Diet Coke trick, right? You know what I'm talking about? If you don't, Google it, kids. I'm glad you're in here today. Google it uh, or YouTube it when you get home. This book is the Mentos. Your heart is the Diet Coke. Read the book. Your heart will explode with gospel goodness. It is such a great book. Such a great book. So uh, Crossway has been generous with us and given us a ton of copies of this book. And so we want to give them to you. So grab a copy of that. The other thing I wanted to tell you about, next Sunday we kick off a sermon series, a 12-week series in the book of Jeremiah. Um, I got to spend the last two weeks getting prepped for that sermon series. And I'm so excited for what God has to say to us as we study the words of Jeremiah. So I hope you'll be here uh, next week as we kick that off. Okay, if you can remember back to the first week in this Good News series, um, I, I talked a little bit about how um, the church in, Amer- in, in America right now is in, um, in what I call a fog. It's kind of in this fog on the gospel. I don't know if you can remember back that far, but we talked about how the church is just in a fog on the gospel. Like, we're not really sure, like, what is the gospel? There's these different versions and variations of the gospel. There's, like, this therapeutic gospel that's out there. There's this political gospel that a lot of people kind of want to make Jesus uh, all about the great American cause. Um, there is this truncated gospel uh, that's out there, this kind of, uh, Jesus died for my sins, pray this prayer, check a box, go to heaven one day, but not really sure what that has to do with the whole of our life and the rest of the world. We're kind of in this fog on the gospel, and I made the case that it's kind of causing all kinds of issues for the church in America. In fact, I don't know if you know this or not, but the church in America is in pretty significant decline right now. And I shared, I'm going to share some stats with you, not even, not even to kind of to be an alarmist, but really just to kind of help us think, to cause us to think for a moment. The church in America, it's in significant decline. Mainline denominations, so think, you know, Presbyterians, Baptists, Methodists, mainline denominations are experiencing significant decline. More than uh, uh, about 3,700 churches, uh, mainline denominational churches close every year. Now, those churches are also starting new churches, but not at the same amount. So we're, we're like net losing churches. So close to 4,000 churches close their doors every year. Um, younger generations are leaving the church at an alarming clip. It's estimated that around 25 million young people who grew up in the church will leave Christianity by the year 2050. And so that has kind of some significant implications. Like right now, about 70% of our country would say, yeah, I'm a Christian if these trends hold, then that would change things to so about 50% of our country would identify as being a Christian. So now we're hoping that trend doesn't hold, right? We're praying for revival. We are proclaiming the gospel. We believe that God is going to move in our country. But I just kind of want you to kind of get a bit of a feel and a picture of the landscape of the church in North America. And I think that it's this confusion, this fog around the gospel that is a leading factor in all of this. In fact, among Gen Z, of Gen Z would say that religion or faith is very important to them. 
while 78% of Gen Z would say that living a uh, fulfilled life is important to them, right? So think about this. Like, it's an awareness in, 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 our, in our leading generation right now. There's an awareness that, like, I'm not fulfilled, and I want to be fulfilled, and I'm looking for fulfillment, but I'm not looking for it where? In Christ, in the church, in Jesus, even in any religious system. There's a problem here, and I think that the problem is that we are not actually giving good news to the world. We have it. We're just not giving them the good news. What I believe is that we need to recover the whole gospel, the whole gospel for the whole of our sin problem. In fact, that's exactly what we've been after in this series. If you remember back to the beginning, we said first and foremost that we need to understand the gospel as historical, that we must understand the gospel as a real event that happened in real time in real human history, in which Jesus came as the promised Messiah of Israel, that Jesus, the Son of God, really lived, he really died, he really ministered in a miraculous way, he really um, rose again from the dead in resurrection, that he appeared to hundreds before he ascended into heaven. And we said that this event is salvific. This was a significant event that truly changed the world. It's salvific, meaning that in and through Jesus, we can access what God is offering this world, which is forgiveness and redemption. Forgiveness of sin and redemption from all of sin's effects. You see, this is salvation, forgiveness and redemption in Jesus. This is what it means to be saved from sin. And in this series, we've wanted you to see that sin's effects are bigger than you think, but the gospel it's better news. It's good news. It's bigger than you think as well. And so what we've seen so far is that our sin problem is personal. It's first and foremost personal. We are born into sin. You and I, we know we're not okay, yet we're determined to rule our own lives. But the truth is, is that we were created by God for God. And until we are reconciled to God through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, we will never experience the freedom and the forgiveness and the identity and the secure future that we are looking for. The gospel is first and foremost personal in its salvation. But as we looked at last week, our sin problem goes further, right? Our sin never just stays between us and God, does it? No. The shrapnel always flies. Other people are always affected by our sin. Our sin wounds other people and we are wounded by the sins of others. For example, gossip. What is it? It's first and foremost an offense against God, but it also hurts a friend. When we make something an idol in our life, whether it's work or a relationship or our kids or success or money, we sin against God, we offend God, and we hurt those around us with our idolatry. Dad's if you make an idol out of your kids, their achievement, their success in sports, what will you do? You will most likely crush your kid, won't you? Yeah. Maybe some of you have experienced making an idol out of a relationship, a relationship that maybe wasn't good for you, but yet you pursued it anyway despite the warnings of others in your family. And what happens? Your family gets torn apart because of the idol in your life. You see, the good news of the gospel is that not only does the person and work of Jesus deal with our sin against God, but it provides us with the grace that we need to forgive one another and to be forgiven, to seek reconciliation, to experience redemption and healing in our relationships. And this is really, really big. I don't want you to miss this. This is good news. This is good news for your marriage. 
This means there's hope for your marriage. If your marriage is struggling here today, the gospel is really good news for you. There's forgiveness and there's reconciliation and there's hope for change and we turn from our sin and we, and we hand that over to Jesus and we live our life in his way that our marriages can be restored. There's hope for your families. There's hope for friendships. The forgiveness and redemption offered in Jesus, it's personal and it's relational. And then today, we're gonna wrap this up by seeing that There's even more good news in Jesus. Why? Because there's even more of a problem with sin than perhaps we thought. The good news of the gospel, it's also societal. Society is sinful, and our society is looking for good news. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Open in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. You're going to look at verses 7 through 10, and I want to kind of explain this idea. Society is sinful, and it's looking for good news. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 through 10. In him, Jesus, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And so here Paul, again, is recounting the first dimension of the gospel, the personal good news of Jesus in him and the person and work of Jesus. We have access to forgiveness, his life for our life, his blood shed to pay the penalty of our sin. We are forgiven, clean, made right. We can come into relationship with the God who created us. And there's also access to redemption in him through the riches of his grace. God's grace goes greater still. Not only can we be forgiven, but we can change. We can be redeemed. And he has lavished grace upon us uh, by his grace through our faith in Jesus. Look at verse 9. He says, in all of this, this work of Jesus, he is making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan from the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. What has been the plan of God from the fullness of time? Or think of it this way. What is God up to in this world? What is God working toward in this world? Well, the text tells us he is reconciling all things. What does that mean? What does that mean? He's reconciling all things. Well, he's talking about this societal dimension to sin. This truth that it's not just that I am a sinner, that you are a sinner, and that you need redemption and forgiveness, but that all creation is deeply broken. And the text is telling us that God is actually doing something about that. In other words, Paul is saying the redemption in Jesus, yes, it's for you, but it's also bigger than you. He is bringing heaven on earth in Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. God is reconciling all things. Now, I want to take just a moment and try and correct some bad theology that um, has been out there for a while in regard to this. What God is not doing in the world is God is not just saving souls, okay? That is not all that God is doing. In other words, there's some bad theology that's kind of been out there that says God is kind of offering us salvation to save our souls, and then maybe he will or won't kind of rapture us out of here before he blows this whole world up. We need to leave that behind. Some of you got that joke. His plan from the fullness of time is to reconcile all things in Jesus. Do you see that in the text? 
He is redeeming all creation in Jesus. Jesus himself prayed, your kingdom come. He taught us to pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This world, it's broken. Evil is real. Society, this real society that we live in today, it is marred with sin. But the good news of the gospel is that God is doing something about it in and through Jesus. Society is sinful, and it's looking for good news, and we have the good news. Some of you might be thinking, well, what do you mean society is sinful? How do you know that society is sinful? Well, I watch the news. That's how I know. I scroll Twitter. (laughs) That's how I know. My eyes tell me that society is sinful, that it's deeply marred by sin, and so do your eyes. But even more than that, the Bible tells me, actually. The the Bible tells us in three ways that society is sinful and awaiting redemption. First of all, it tells us in a broad sense, the Bible does. The Bible never tries to downplay or deny the fact that sinful human beings create sinful societal structures on earth in which things like lust and greed and selfishness and partiality become key components of those human societies. This is true of every human society that's ever existed, including the ones recorded in the Bible and including the one that you and I live in today. So in a broad sense, the Bible tells us that sinful people form sinful societies and that God has promised that he will redeem at all. But the Bible also tells us that society is sinful in kind of a subtle way. I want you to think about this for a second. I want you to think about the miracles of Jesus. You might not be that familiar with the Bible, but just think about the the miracles of Jesus. You're probably familiar, even if you're not familiar with the Bible, you're familiar with some of these, right? Jesus walking on water, Jesus um, calming a storm, Jesus healing the dead, Jesus healing the sick, Jesus raising the dead. Jesus turning water into wine. Just think for a minute about the miracles of Jesus. Are these random? Are these just, or is Jesus, was Jesus just kind of bopping around like, hmm, feel like doing a magic trick today, you know? And like, you just decided to do something. Are these random? No, I don't think they are at all. I actually think the miracles of Jesus are actually showing us something. I think that each miracle of Jesus is speaking to us about what life looks like in Jesus' kingdom. It's giving us a little window, a little peek to look through to see the kingdom of God, or to think of it this way, what society looks like when Jesus rules and reigns in full. I want you to think about that. It's a society where there's no more death, where there's no more sickness, where there's no more disease, where there's no more ailments, where there's no more natural disaster, perhaps where there's no more parties with bad wine. This is good news. Jesus, he's come to not only save sinners, but he's come to set right sufferings. And then finally, the end of the Bible. The end of the Bible speaks to this. It shows us um, that, that society is sinful by giving us a picture of what the new city or the new society will look like when Jesus comes again. In fact, if you want to flip over with me, turn to the end of the Bible. Turn to Revelation chapter 21. Hold your place in Ephesians and then flip over Revelation 21. We see this picture of saved sinners gathered together in this new society, in this new city. Revelation 21, 1 through 5, it says, John says he's given a vision into, this, into our future in Christ. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first, 
first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Throughout the Bible, the sea often represents evil. And so what he's saying here is evil is no more. You could think of it like an Instagram fi- uh, uh, picture that's ugly and then you, you know, put a filter over it and now all of a sudden it's not so ugly anymore. He's, this is what he's saying. It's like this new filter is coming on to, to the earth. This new heaven and this new earth is now coming down and the old stuff is no more. And he says, and I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Verse five. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. What a beautiful picture of what is to come. Society that we live in, it is sinful. We see it with our eyes. The Bible tells us throughout the Bible, it addresses these themes that our world is deeply broken throughout the Bible. But there is good news for us and for our world in the gospel. So I said, society is sinful. How do I know? I just tried to make a case for you. And then I said, and society, not only is it sinful, but it's looking for good news. How do I know that our society is currently looking for good news? Well, watch the news. That's how I know. I watch the news. I scroll Twitter. That's how I know society is looking for good news. It's not just the devastating events or the tragic headlines that we see over and over again, but what else is it? What else do we see when we look at Twitter or when we look at the news? We also see the opinions and the proposed solutions to our problems. We see things like the headlines, suicide rates are up among teens. And that's followed with opinions and policies to solve the problem. We see things like another mass shooting, tragic headline. And it's followed by opinions and proposals and proposed policy changes, more gun control, more work with mental health, ban on violent video games, whatever it might be. We hear the headline, hottest year on record. We see another massive hurricane churning in the Gulf. What do we do? Environmental debates, on and on and on. The world is broken and it's looking for good news. Our society is aware of the problems that we are facing and it's looking for solutions. And we must come to realize that underneath every agenda, Underneath every campaign, underneath every charity, underneath every social good Kickstarter, underneath every organized march for change, what we are seeing in our society are deep human longings for the kingdom of God. I want to say that again. Hear me. Underneath every push for change, under every campaign, under every cause, are deep human longings for the kingdom of God. And I want to ask you, What if you actually began to view the noise this way? What if you began to see it this way? What if you looked at the passionate pundits or the opinionated person in your family or your coworker as people with deep longings, usually misguided, but deep longings for the world made right? What if we looked at the the pride march where we see people expressing their desire to be fully accepted and to fully belong 
their desire for a secure and stable identity. What if we looked at that and underneath the surface, we saw misguided human longings for the identity that comes only from God. We saw a group of people looking for what you've been given by grace in Jesus, only they've come to believe that that identity and security and acceptance and belonging is found in expressive sexual identity. What if we began to view it that way? What if we saw the news headlines about the battle over gun rights, whether you're gun control or Second Amendment freedom, what if we saw those as actually misguided human longings for a world that is safe and secure? People who long to live in a world where they are protected from unforeseen evil and violence. And so for some, they want to have their guns. Or for others, they don't want bad guys to have their guns. But either way, at its core, it's a longing for the day that is drawing near where there will be no more evil and violence. What if we saw it that way? What about all the COVID debates? What's under the surface? Deep longings for life in a world that's not so fragile in regard to sickness and death. That's what's underneath all the debates. People who are saying, I want to live. Or people who are saying, I don't want to die. Deep longings for a world that isn't so fragile to sickness and death. How about our political landscape? What's going on underneath the surface? We have conservatives who are trying to fight the ills of society by conserving the good old days of morality and national stability, but they fail to acknowledge the sins of generations before them. And on the other side of the aisle, we have progressives who are trying to fight the ills of society with a vision of progress in which everyone is equal and power is distributed, but they seek that progress without God and without his truth. But what's underneath both agendas? Human longings for the things that can only be found where Jesus Christ rules and reigns. Do we see what's playing out in our world? It's desperate for good news. I could go on and on. You could point out any pain point in our society and we can name the human longing underneath it that is only fulfilled in God through Jesus Christ. And I want to be clear about a few things because I just mentioned a bunch of issues. And you might, you might, you know, mishear me. That's common today. I want to be clear about something. All of these issues that I just named, plus others that are going on in our society, they're all multifaceted issues. They're all issues that demand a thought and care and nuance. We must not, as Christians, oversimplify these issues. We must not just kind of throw out Christianized platitudes about these issues. But we must speak about them biblically and theologically, we must engage what's going on in our lifetime as the people of God. But we must also resist the propensity to view these issues, the issues that we face in our society, through merely an American lens. As Christians, we must think about the whole world. We must think about what's good and true, what's wrong and evil across the globe as we talk about these things like abortion and racism or sexuality or liberty or justice. We must remember that we are Christians first and foremost and Americans second. And we should love our country, and we should work for its good, but we should do so as citizens of the kingdom of God. What's my point? Our society, it's marred with sin. It's entangled in evil, and it's looking for good news. It's looking for hope, and the gospel is the answer. Paul says again, I want to read it again in Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ 
as a plan from the fullness of time to unite or to reconcile all things in Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. What good news. Amen? You see, this promised work of redemption that God is doing in the world, in Jesus, it's happening. His kingdom is coming. The day is drawing near. And if you are a Christian, you are caught up in this work. You are enlisted in God's redemption mission, whether you realize it or not. Did you know that? I have two sons, and I often tell them, and also we have two sons and a younger daughter. And I often tell my, my two sons, um, I say, hey, you are a big brother, whether you like it or not. And what I mean by that is like your job, whether you like it or not, God's given you the job just by nature of giving you a little sister. It's to love your sister, to teach your sister, and to protect your sister. Whether you like it or not, you might, you know, and sometimes they'll pick on her. And I'll say, hey, what's your job, man? <laughs> your job's to love her and help her, whether you like it or not, just by nature of being a big brother. That's the job God's given you. And for us as Christians, we are enlisted in this work of reconciliation, whether we realize it or not, whether we like it or not. It's just the nature of being a recipient of his grace. In fact, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 through 20. The Apostle Paul reminds us that we are missionaries in this society. This society is sinful, it's looking for good news, and we are missionaries in this society. It's what we've been saved for. We've been saved from sin, and we've been saved for God's work in the world. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 through 19, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. In other words, as Christians in this world, we don't sit back idly, kind of stick our head in the sand and pretend the world's not going crazy and just wait for Jesus to, to return. That's not the calling of his grace on our lives, nor do we rage against the culture, like culture warriors for Christ, thinking that this world is all that there is. No, we live in this world as the hands and feet of Jesus, as ambassadors of the coming kingdom, we live our lives for the glory of God and the good of others. I want you to think of it this way. We often talk around here about learning and living the way of Jesus. That we want to walk like Jesus. We want to act like Jesus. We want to talk like Jesus. We want to live like Jesus. You could think of that way of Jesus kind of having two rails. There are two rails. This rail over here is we live for the glory of God. We honor Christ in how we live. And the other rail over here is that we live for the good of others. So we live surrendered to Christ and in service to others. This is the way of Jesus. What does that look like? What does that look like in your life every day to live for the coming kingdom? Well, there are implications for how we work. Did you know that your work matters? It's not just a job. It's more than God just providing for you. God actually wants to use you in your work. Your work matters no matter the job. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 tells us that we should work unto the Lord, not unto man. 
We work for the glory of God, and in our work, we look to serve others. Whether we are the boss, whether we're the employee, we live out the ethics of the kingdom in our workplace. There's implications for how we steward our resources. 1 Timothy 6.18 tells us that we should be generous with what we have, that we share what we have to help meet the needs of others. We care about the least of these among us. This means we pray for the sick. We care about the widow and the orphan. It means that we speak about and engage in matters of injustice in our society. It means that we love our neighbors, our real neighbors, in tangible ways, that we love them and we look for opportunities to share the gospel with them in word and deed. And we do all of these things together as the church, each of us using our gifts, using the gifts that God's given, playing our role. We are called to be a faithful presence of the gospel in the world. We are ambassadors with a message of redemption and forgiveness, which we ourselves have received, and we are ones who have the hope of a coming kingdom. This world, it is looking for good news, and we've got it. In fact, we've got a gospel that is three-dimensional. It's three-dimensional, and it's good news. It's personal, it's relational, it's societal. But we will not give the gospel to our society if we ourselves haven't fully set our hope in it. I want to say that this way. If, if, if your longings for this world, when you look at the pain and the brokenness, the pain points in this world, if, if those things, if your longings are not fully satisfied in the glory that awaits in the coming kingdom, then you won't give the world good news. In fact, I want you to think about the pain points in the world right now, the ones that matter most to you. Are you fully believing the gospel? I want to ask you that. Is your hope fully set on Jesus when you think about what's going on? You see, our societal problem, it has one solution. In other words, one solution with one response. And that response should be, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. In fact, the final words of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, we see the one solution and we see the one response to what's going on in our world. Revelation 22, 20 says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Those are the final words of Christ. Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That's the response. The promise and the response. Our responsibility, our privilege is to long for that day and to live for that day until it comes again. Our responsibility and our privilege is to long for that day. That means we pray for that day. That means we lament in the face of pain and brokenness. You think about a hurricane that's about to slam into the gulf. Last week, we prayed for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. We think about the, the, the pain and the conflict that people are experiencing due to this pandemic that we're in. Our response ought to be to lament and to pray, come, Lord Jesus, come, and then to live for that day, to tell the world about the good news that's coming in Jesus, not to grow indifferent, not to grow cynical, not to despair, and not to look to faulty solutions. As we close this morning, I want to um, I want to invite the worship team to come back up, and I want to just give you a moment to just reflect. I think this third dimension of the good news is one that we often ignore, and I think that's why we're in such a fog on the gospel, because we're hyper alert to all the brokenness in the world, but we don't often bring, it, bring, bring those pain points to Jesus. In other words, 
We can often make the gospel one-dimensional. And we can just say, hey, uh, Jesus died for my sins, and so then therefore the Christian life means I worship Jesus and I go to church. It's just kind of this one-dimensional thing. And then as we grow up in our faith a bit, we start to see that it's two-dimensional. Actually, I need the grace of Jesus to help me in my marriage or with my kids or with my friends or with my relationships. And we kind of say, okay, there's a second dimension to the gospel. I'm growing in grace. The gospel's good news. We start to see that the church is more than just going and worshiping where I like to worship, but the church is a family. It's brothers and sisters. And this third dimension of the gospel, it is such a big deal for us if we're going to faithfully follow Jesus and take in all that he's given us. The gospel is more still. There's a future that he's promised us. And it is coming now. We're kind of living in the in-between. We get to be ambassadors of this kingdom. We get to take hold of this message as the world is struggling and people are suffering. And we say, we have hope. This isn't it. Life isn't only here. There's more. Jesus is coming again. And we start to realize that the church is more too. It's not just a place to worship and a family to belong to, but we get to be ambassadors of his kingdom. We get to live on his mission. We get to tell of his grace. We get to display his grace through all that we have and all that we do. And so I want to invite you for just a moment to consider, are you receiving the good news of the gospel, of this third dimension of grace? Are you receiving it in your own life? I want you to think for a minute, when you're faced with the brokenness of our world, when you come face to face with the sinfulness of our society, when you feel some anxiety in your heart about, I don't know about this world that my kids or my grandkids are going to grow up in. What do you do? Where do you turn? What comes out of you when you see the news headline after headline after headline? Do you run from it? Do you rage against it? Do you look to blame or villainize or politicize? What do you do? What comes out of you? Right where you are, I want to invite you just to take a moment, bow your head if you need to, close your eyes, and just listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. When you think about the sin in our society, what comes out of you? Where do you turn? What do you do? Now I want to just invite you in this moment, just turn any unbelief, any sinful responses, any lack of faith, just turn it over to God in confession. And would you receive the good news offered to you in the gospel, the hope that you have that God is and will reconcile all things in Jesus, that a new heaven and a new earth awaits you, that there is a day where there'll be no more suffering, tears and pain and hardship. You see, there is great hope for you to take hold of in the face of uncertainty or suffering or disorienting seasons of life. This world, it's not your home. Would you receive that? If you are in Christ, you are a sojourner. Would you remember that and would you believe that? Jesus has made you a citizen of his kingdom. He's done that for you and he's gifted you access by grace. A banquet feast is being prepared for you and Jesus has pulled up a chair for you and that day is drawing near. And until that day, he is working in this world by his spirit through his church. He is using us. He is using you. He wants to use you more and more and more to push back the darkness, to live as a signpost of his kingdom. He's calling us not to get entangled in civilian affairs or not to get caught up in worldly fears, but to live with hope. Would you receive that? We live with hope. 
what grace we've received freely from Jesus and what great honor and privilege we've been given. And if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, I just want to let you know that the same grace and the same hope that many of us have in this room is available to you. It's available to you. Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest for your soul that nothing else in this world can give you. I'm going to pray for us. And after I pray, we're going to continue in a time of response. We're going to celebrate the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.